Normally we would be in the book of Revelation right now, um, but today is Palm Sunday. And so I started thinking about this. When we started the book of Revelation, it promises a blessing for those who study it. And we have been blessed. And now it's like coming to the end of this wonderful meal that we've had, and you got that last little bite left, and you go, man, I don't want this to be over yet. I mean, I just, just need to be all done. So we're not going to, it's not going to be over yet. We're going we're gonna to break, and we're going to look at a Palm Sunday message. We've got a special Easter Sunday message. Then we'll get back to the last few bites in Revelation. But this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 44. Joy. Hi, Joy. Lisa said she saw you, and so I said, are you sure? And so we went outside and didn't see you, and I thought, I, I think you're mistaken. There's Joy. Hi, Joy. Joy and Ed used to go to our church until they abandoned us, and no. <laughs> they didn't, no, they, they moved back to family in Idaho, and they've been there ever since and doing well, but, uh, but great to see you, Joy. Anyway, Luke chapter 19, um, starting verse 29 through verse 44, we read this. And it came to pass when he, speaking of Jesus, drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied in which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives. A whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The title of my message this morning is One Special Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this opportunity that we have to open up your word, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you are here to teach us and instruct us all things that pertain to your word, that pertain to life and godliness. And Father, as we looked at the subject, look at the subject today, we pray, Lord, that we'd find not only information but application in our lives that would change us and draw us closer to you and our relationship with you. Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, we pray that they would do so this morning. They would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Bless our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we celebrate what is called Palm Sunday, you know, I've had a, a lot of celebrations this past week. Hadley Eliana, born on Wednesday. My youngest son, if you didn't know Matthew, he's in the military, got married on Monday. And so it's been one of those 
these, these special days, and I thought, you know what, there's other special days, and I found a website that has recorded other special days that we celebrate. These are actual special days of celebration. We'll go month by month. So January 28th is National Blueberry Pancake Day. <laughs> Selling the day someone said, hey, let's put some blueberries in this pancake mix. Hey, man, you're, you did well. How about this? A month later, February 28th is National Public Sleeping Day. This one had to be started in a church. I know it, but it's actually a holiday that encourages people to sleep outside. All right, a month later, March 28th, this is today. It's National Something on a Stick Day. This is legit. I mean, this is a holiday in which people are supposed to enjoy their favorite stick-anchored food, like a corn dog or freezer pop or steak kebab or anything else that you can eat off of a stick. Which is really funny because today also has two days. Today is also National Triglycerides Day. <laughs> to remind us how important it is to have a healthy lifestyle. So I think the two days cancel each other out. So eat whatever you want. It's all good to go. The reality of it is today is Palm Sunday. I find it interesting we don't have Feed to 5,000 Sunday or, you know, Turn the Water into Wine Sunday, but we don't. But, but I, I would imagine we'd have quite a turnout if we did. But we call it Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday because over in John's Gospel, as they actually have in, in the uh, covering of this uh, day, they have a crowd waving palm branches, putting them down in front of Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. This is also called, as many of you know, the triumphal entry. Now, what makes it so special from other things that Jesus did was that this event in the life of Jesus gives us a vivid illustration of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the king. We know that when he returns, that he's going to return as king of kings and lord of lords. But here he's coming in as the king. Now you may ask, well, why would they wave the palm branches? Well, earlier in their national history, the Jews had waved palm branches when the Maccabees overthrew the Syrian oppression. The palm branches were, were, were uh, stamped then onto their coins. Uh, it, it symbolized a period of great victory. It was a patriotic symbol of freedom. Much like our American flag is today, or maybe a stuffed animal of a bald eagle, a symbol of our freedom. So this crowd, on this day, were looking to Jesus in the hope that he would lead them to victory in overthrowing the Roman government. What they didn't realize is that he was leading them to victory, just not a political one. He was leading them to victory over death and over sin as he would make his way to the cross and die for the sins of mankind. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on this one special day for this one particular purpose. Now, with that in mind, in verses 29 through 44 of Luke chapter 19, it really divides itself into three points. Number one, if you're taking notes, we're going to see the preparation. Number two, we're going to see the praise. And number three, we will see the problem. First, the preparation. First thing we note is that Jesus has been preparing for this day all along to provide exactly what he needs in order to accomplish exactly what he is going to do. See, Christ would enter into Jerusalem not by walking, but by riding. So some preparation had to be made for the ride. This was really a, a momentous historical event. See, all throughout Jesus' public ministry, he never sought to have a huge public showing. 
didn't cry out or cause his voice to be heard in the streets. In fact, he would tell his disciples in Matthew 16, 20, tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. When he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he told his disciples that they should tell no man the things that they have seen till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. In fact, when the crowd sought to take him by force after he had fed the 5,000, Jesus did the opposite. It says there that when they perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So what's going on here? Why is he making this public entrance into Jerusalem attended by this huge crowd? So much so that the Pharisees in in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 19, says, Behold, the whole world has gone after him. This was a big deal. Why is he allowing it to happen now and he didn't allow it to happen before this day. Listen to Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. It says this, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. See, Jesus, knowing the beginning from the end, God's word declaring many, many years before this event, through prophecy, what must take place. That's why Jesus deliberately said over and over again throughout his ministry, my time has not yet come. Remember when he was at the the wedding feast in Cana and his mother said to him, we need to do something. He said, my time has not yet come. Jesus' response to his half-brothers that wanted to make him have this grand arrival at the Feast of Tabernacles told them, my time has not yet come. See, this reveals why Jesus would not show himself as king until the timing was just right. It was God's timing was perfect. See, this sentence, my time has not yet come, reveals Jesus' complete dependence and commitment to the Father's sovereign timetable for his life. All four Gospels record this event. This was the only public demonstration that Jesus allowed while he was ministering on earth, prepared for, prophesied for, for this particular time and place. Purpose. We find for fulfillment of prophecy, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Genesis 49, 10. Prophecy of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. I like that one the best. Daniel prophesied that 483 years later on the Jewish calendar, from the day of the decree going out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the day that the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem, 483 days, by the Jewish calendar of 360 days in a year, exactly to the day Jesus comes riding in on this donkey. To the day. Genesis 49.10, Jacob's prophecy to his son Judah concerning the Messiah. He said this, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, another name for Messiah, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Prophesied. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. That prophecy given over 550 years, all before this event ever happened. How the Messiah would rise in to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, declaring himself to be their king. Behold, your king is coming to you. You know, that's the same message that we should be shouting from our rooftops today. Behold, our King is returning to us. 
And I believe we are closer to Jesus' return than we've ever been, uh, ever before. The scriptures predict it. The world is certainly showing the signs that Jesus said we should be looking for in the last days. We need to be looking up. We need to be ready for his return. To be prepared and to not miss it as we will read of this, those that missed Jesus' first coming to this earth. Here's my point. All of these events have been planned out by God ahead of time for this one moment. And it wasn't going to happen before. It wasn't going to happen after for the time that Jesus prepared. And now he's beginning to prepare everything to come into his final place, one right after another. Same way God has got a timetable, and it's a perfect timetable for our lives. Whatever it is you may be going through right now, God has prepared you for it. You are ready for it, and God is allowing it to happen for a season, for a time. Ecclesiastes 3 1 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. There, there, there's a reason why maybe you're going through a heavy trial in your life right now. There's a reason behind it. There's a reason why God is allowing maybe some big changes to happen in your life right now. And maybe you're shaken up by it. Maybe, you know, it's unnerving by the whole thing, but, but God's not shaken up. He's not up in heaven going, oh, Tom is in a bind. I don't know how he's going to get himself out of this one. (laughs) Oh, Tom's really going through it. Man, I hope he makes it. No, God has got this. He has everything under his control. Therefore, you've got this. I love Psalm 139, verse 16. In the New Living Translation, it says this. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. To me, that's very comforting. He will never let me down no matter what I'm going through. So we see here that Jesus is taking care of providing for this ride into Jerusalem by sending out two of his disciples. Look now at verses 28 through 31. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here, and if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. Stop there for a moment. This is interesting. Jesus says, Okay, I got a job for a couple of you disciples I want, want, want to use you for. He says, Here it is, boys. I want two of you guys to go into the city where nobody knows you, I want you to untie this colt, or rightly translated, a young donkey. Bring the donkey to me, and if anyone asks about this, just say, the Lord needs it. Man, that's really putting the disciples to a test of faith. It's putting them in a place of trusting the Lord, whether they understand the big picture or not. I mean, think about what Jesus was asking them to do. First, they were to believe that there was going to be a donkey right where Jesus said there would be one. Secondly, they were to go right up to this unbroken donkey, loose it, and lead it back. And thirdly, they were to say nothing unless challenged by the owners or anyone else. And they were only to repeat a phrase, not really explaining themselves, just because the Lord has need of it. Now, I think if I were one on this mission, I think I would be pretty apprehensive about what to expect. I mean, you know, I think some of you, those of you that are horse people, stop and think about this. Imagine if you're in your house and you're looking out your window and you see a couple of guys walking up to your barn, opening up the barn doors and leaving your best horse out of it. It'd be like, excuse me, 
What do you think you're doing there? I think there'd be a shotgun somewhere in the scenario. I just do. So this had to be going on in the disciples' minds. And I really do see humor in all of this. But you see, the Lord took care of recording this event some 550 years before it ever happened. Certainly, he was able to prepare the owner's heart for the arrival of his disciples. Maybe it's through a dream, maybe a word of prophecy, we don't know. But there's plenty of examples in Scripture where God has already gone before you to prepare hearts. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, where God's word says this, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, in the same way, God has gone ahead of you. God has prepared great things for your life right now. And it's just a matter of you walking in faith, walking in trust and obedience and allowing God to direct and guide your steps. That's why we're told in His Word, Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You'll look to God's Word and you'll know where He's directing you to. You'll know where you need to go, what you need to do. So at the Lord's words, these disciples are on their way to pick up this donkey and as they get there, they're asked what they're doing. Just as Jesus warned that might happen. Look at verse 32. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosed the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Now, if it were me, you know, when you get nervous, you know, I, I tend to talk a lot more than I should. And I think I wanted, would want to explain this whole situation. Listen, I'm here because I'm one of the disciples, one of the twelve. Maybe you heard of us. Yeah, we're hanging out with Jesus, the Messiah. And I know this is kind of strange, but he actually told us we can come here and we can find this donkey. And if we're asked, we're going we're to do this. And I mean, I'd want to do that. I think I'd want to explain the whole situation to them. Instead of doing simply what Jesus said to do. Just speak his words. The Lord has need of him. In other words, don't try to explain yourself. Just speak my word. That's great advice. Because Isaiah 55.11 says this, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Listen, you may not see the effects right away, but like a time bomb, the scriptures you shared with your unbelieving family member or friend our neighbor will make its way into their hearts and it will eventually be brought powerfully and persuasively to their minds. The verse that the Lord gave you in your quiet time with the Lord in your Bible reading that you highlighted, that you underlined, that you memorized, it will come to fruition. It will accomplish what God has set it out to do in your life. Well, then we read in verse 35, Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. John twelve fifteen tells us this was a donkey colt. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. But some interesting facts about donkeys. Donkeys' average lifespans are between 25 to 40 years old. Sometimes if you really take good care of your donkey, they can live up to 60 years old. Donkeys, as you know, have, have uh, long ears for two reasons. It enables them to hear miles away. And interesting enough, it keeps them cool. Like a radiator, it helps to keep their bodies cool. The most bizarre fact I discovered comes from the London Times where they reported more people are killed annually by donkeys than in airplane crashes. Now, I don't know how on earth they discovered that or any, why anybody would want to find out that statistic. 
I wonder how many people died on an airplane compared to a donkey. But that's a fact. Finally, donkeys love to roll in the dirt. They love to do that more than anything else. That's why when you touch them, there's a cloud of dust goes everywhere you know, on them. And one more thing about donkeys that we all know, they're stubborn. Very stubborn. If you've ever participated in a donkey basketball game, you know that. They don't, they don't move. You have to try to push them. But as I read these, as I think about these, I say, man, that's a perfect picture of us. Dumb, stubborn, strong-willed donkey that likes to roll around in the dirt. What a perfect picture we were before we came to Christ. A stubborn, strong-willed people who likes to roll around in the dirt of sin. Here's an interesting fact. I've shared this last year, but it's worth repeating in case you've only forgotten or missed it. We only did online last year. But did you know, according to Exodus 13, 13, that before a donkey could be released and used by their masters, uh, they had to be redeemed. Exodus 13, 13 says, But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. So whenever a donkey was born, a lamb had to die so the donkey could live. I'm sure the lamb's going, that's a bad idea. I don't, I don't like that one. That's an old joke. But anyway. But if there's no sacrifice, then the donkey would have to die. The donkeys would have to have its neck broken. Now what's interesting to me, in that very verse that I read uh, in Exodus 13, it speaks of a firstborn man being redeemed. Again, what a great picture this is for us in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God sent to die for us dumb donkeys, us strong-willed donkeys, us stubborn as donkeys. Jesus came to redeem us so our necks wouldn't have to be broken. He, re- he, he, he redeemed us and delivered us from the wrath to come and has delivered us from the chains and bondage of sin and death. Now that's not a bad deal at all, is it? I mean, it's praise the Lord for that. One more interesting fact about this donkey. Jesus is about to sit on this unbroken donkey and not be thrown off. He has total control of this animal. No resistance whatsoever. Man, it just shows us the fact that all creation is in submission to him. He created the animals and they recognize his authority. It's too bad so often we don't do the same thing. You know, we become, as the saying goes, stubborn as a mule. We receive the Lord. We're set apart for a master to use in any way he sees fit. But then we get stubborn. Lord, I'll do whatever you call me to do. But just not that. Not the children's ministry. Really, Lord? Oh. Anything that would take us out of our comfort zone, we, we tend to be stubborn over. Then there's areas of sin in our lives. We invite him into our lives and we say, Lord, come into my heart. And our lives are like this big house with many rooms in it. And we say, Lord Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You can have access to any room in my house. And the Lord says, how about this room? That room? Yeah, that room. Oh, no, I don't know. Not that, not, not, not that room. And we resist. Well, that room, that, that room is where I, I don't act like a Christian when I'm at work. And if I do, they'll think I'm fanatical and they wouldn't understand. Oh, Lord, that room, no, 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 that's the one I have a problem with, with my tongue, with my words. We need to keep that door shut. You don't want to go in there. We say, oh, yeah, Jesus, every room is yours, but not that one. Behind that door, I have this grudge that I have with this person in that room and uh, some unforgiveness there. And I know that if I open that door, <laughs> you're going to help, help me forgive that person. I just don't want to. 
and we don't fully submit ourselves to Jesus Christ or life to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said to his church in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Listen, we need to submit to the proper authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need to say, God, you are the Lord of my life. Come into every room. Open up the doors. Let him clean it up. Oh, it's not, well, I've got to clean this up before I let you. No, let him get in there. Let him clean it up for you. But it takes submission, recognizing who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Then instead of being stubborn as donkeys, we become submissive, allowing God free access to every area of our lives. I think that the, the thing that we fear is that we think, well, if I give over every area of my life to the Lord, uh, that the, just, just God's going to harm me or it's going to hurt me. Something's not going to happen. Well, if you think that way, then you really don't understand the love of God. God is prepared to bless us. But we have to keep ourselves in that place to receive the blessings He desires to give us. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know that verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. See, we need to understand God loves us and He's always thinking what's the best thing for you, what's the best thing for me in my life, what's the best for us. And when we give up those areas of sin, those areas in our life that they got a hole in us, God honors that. And He blesses you for it. And as a result, all praise and glory goes to Him. As we step out in faith to serve the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this because you asked me to and I'm going to be used by you. God blesses it and we see His marvelous works and you just want to praise the Lord. And that's what we see here in the next point, number two, the praise. Look at verse 35 through 40. Then they brought Him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on Him. And as they went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as it was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now again, Jesus had never done anything like this before. As I said already, he usually withdrew from the crowds when they tried to anoint him king before. But now he's deliberately arranging, preparing himself to enter Jerusalem as king in a way that would draw attention to himself. He fulfills not only Zechariah 9.9, but Malachi 3.1 where it reads there, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, and whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. See, on this day, on this special day, the Lord would leave no doubt that he came as the Messiah. And understand, Jesus knew as he's coming in that he was a wanted man. Yet he still chose to publicize his arrival. In fact, the religious authorities at the day said, if anyone finds out where Jesus is, if you know where he's at, according to John 11, verse 57, they were to reveal his location. So Jesus is coming in uh, publicly, not as a helpless victim, unaware of what lay ahead, but as a powerful victor marching bravely into battle. And as he entered the city, Matthew's Gospel records masses of people shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. 
See, I think upon hearing all of that, the disciples down loose gospel must have leaped for joy because we read in verse 37, a whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Yet we know with this great joy and rejoicing, there's also great sadness that filled this day because those same cries of Hosanna came from ignorance of what Jesus came to do, ignorance of God's word. People wanted Jesus on their own terms. They wanted a deliverer to, to conform to their plans instead of to his. As I said, they wanted Jesus to, re- to destroy Rome but leave untouched their cherished sins and superficial religion. Little has changed in 2,000 years. You know, there are people who love to celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, but the rest of the year, that's it. They don't think about Jesus. They like to celebrate his birth, the arrival of Christmas, but, but live as though they, he never came. They celebrate the resurrection. These may live as though we were dead. Many sing praises of Jesus, a Jesus that think will give us wealth and health if we, you know, we sing praises. And, but, but our praises stop when the faith and trust and obedience is required. See, we want the appearance of being religious as long as it doesn't require anything from me. It's interesting that these Pharisees, these ones who appear to be so religious, the ones who were supposed to know and understand from God's word when the Messiah would come, they're so caught up in their tradition, so caught up in their religion and really religiosity, they just didn't know. They missed the whole point. I mean, here is God himself in the flesh, the Messiah standing right before them. And in verse 39 we read, And some of the Pharisees called it to him from the crowd, saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Basically, they were saying, Shut the people up because you're taking worship that only belongs to God and you don't belong in that position, pal. But I love Jesus' response, don't you? To them in verse 40, he says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I wish for one moment the disciples would have kept quiet. Just for a minute or two. I mean, it would have been really cool to hear the first rolling stones. I mean, praise the Lord. Some real rock music going on right there. I mean, the stones themselves would immediately cry out. Rock and roll. I love it. Now that the scriptures speak of inanimate objects, or inanimate nature, praising God, rather. Psalm 96, 11. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar and all its fullness. Psalm 98, verse 7 and 8. Let the sea roar and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness, he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. How about Isaiah 55:12? For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth in the singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. One more, Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Paul said all creation is groaning, longing for the day of redemption when they can break forth into praise. Do you realize that man is the only part of creation that is rebellious when it comes to worship? Rocks are ready to cry out. The trees in Isaiah says they're ready to clap their hands. The mountains are going to break forth singing. But then there are people who say, well, I don't really feel like worshiping today. I mean, even though we're told that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people, even though we're told that everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
we say, well, you know, I'm a little tired. I don't really feel like singing or some other excuse. Listen, we really need to understand what a privilege it is that the Lord gives to us the capacity to praise Him. Creation wants to and can't at this present time. People can, but they don't want to, many of them. But here's the thing when it comes to worship. We all worship something. Just some worship the wrong things. Now, maybe it's your favorite sports team. Oh, yeah. Even the unemotional person will go nuts at a game. They'll clap their hands. They'll shout. They'll do the wave, you know, all the way across. Listen, those are all expressions that the Bible says that we should have towards the Lord in worship. I don't know about the wave, but, but clapping our hands, praising the Lord. Psalm 47, 1, oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 63, 4, thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. The Lord desires that we should be expressive in our worship. Again, I'm not saying we should do the wave in our worship services, but we certainly could lift our hands, you know, or clap our hands. I think at Tim Hawkins, he's got a funny video about different stages of clapping or raising your hands. You know, it's like this one, cut a feet, feet, you know, fish this big, you know, or, or whatever he does. It's just, it's funny. You have to look it up. I'm not funny. He's funny. Okay. Um, but the Lord desires that we be expressive in our worship. And here these people are. It says, they're just shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this is not just a few people. This was Passover happening in Jerusalem. I mean, the, it, this was packed with people. They're celebrating. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 26 reads. That's what they were doing. But here was a slight change in verse 38 because it says, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, once again, they were expecting Jesus to be the King at that time who would overthrow uh, uh, Rome, and he would bring peace to this earth once and for all. They're expecting the kingdom of heaven to be established on earth right then and there. But see, we know without the cross there could be no peace. For these Jewish authorities, they would officially refuse and reject Jesus Christ, and instead of political peace, there would be global conflict with the Jews, and it continues to this very day, as Israel is still missing that peace because they missed what Jesus came to do. Now, they will, will, that will come to an end pretty soon, and we'll continue looking at that in our studies in Revelation. But this brings us to our final point, the problem. Look now at verses 41 through 44. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. There is a problem. Jesus is weeping. Why did Jesus weep here? Two reasons. Number one, Jesus wept because the people were blind to the work that God wanted to do among them. If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. I wonder how many times God weeps over our own blindness. Matthew's Gospel, we're told about what Jesus said a little bit further. There's more information where when Jesus wept, it says that he said this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. 
In other words, if you only knew what God had in store for you, if you only knew what God would do for you, if you were just willing, if you just opened your heart to it. So Jesus wept. If you only had known, even knew, he wept because the people were blind to the work that God wanted to do among them. And he wept because he knew he was coming for the Jewish people and they would refuse him. He knew what was ahead for the Jewish people. Verse 44, Jesus says, There's coming an army that will level you and will not leave in you one stone upon another. So in 70 AD, that was literally fulfilled to a T. The Romans utterly demolished the city, temple, residences, people, men, women, children were brutally slaughtered by the tens of thousands. And the few survivors were carried off to become victims of the Roman circus games and gladiator contests. All because, Jesus says, you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus wept out loud. He wailed out loud over the consequences that would come from Israel having rejected him. He wept because he knew of the persecution that would come their way, how throughout history they would be a persecuted people. He wept because he knew they they would be scattered all over the world. That it would be almost 2,000 years later, May 14, 1948, before God would regather them together as a nation and begin to work in and among them again. Convulsing, sobbing, words of welling are really appropriate when you look back at Israel's history and you look forward to their future. As we know in our studies in Revelation recently that ultimately it's all going to end there in Jerusalem when Jesus returns. But not before the Jewish people face and have faced horrific uh, struggles and persecution. Listen, when we started this study, we looked at how everything Jesus did was all for his timing and his purposes. Clearly throughout Scripture, the word spoke of this event, but the Jews failed to see it. Again, the problem was they thought that Jesus was coming to save now. They failed to, to realize that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the cross, there is no salvation. And so this crowd will go from saved now to crucify him because Jesus didn't do what the crowd wanted him to do. They forsook him. How often do we do, we do the same thing? You know, that people come to the Lord expecting Jesus to be this type of good luck. Child. Well, if I got Jesus on my side, then I'm gonna, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And, and, and when things don't go their way, oh, wow. I don't know. We need to realize that Jesus came to die for our sin and to pay the price for our iniquity. If he never does anything else in our lives presently, that was more than enough to be entitled to our loyalty, our affection, and our devotion to him. If he never does another thing for us, if he never gives us another blessing, we owe him our lives because of what he did for us at the cross. See, we have an opportunity right now to understand the Word of God, to understand the times in which we live, and to recognize that Jesus' return to this earth for His church could be at any moment. We have an opportunity as believers to get our walk right with the Lord, to stop walking the fence. Clearly, Scriptures, as clearly as it was speaking of His his return and coming into Jerusalem, the events of end times are clearly spoken of. And for us to ignore His Word, It's clearly the same thing as the Jewish people ignoring the statements that Jesus made of his first coming. See, the problem with the Pharisees and those who later on reject him were they didn't know the word. That's what the Lord says. He he breaks it, if you had only knew the scriptures, if you only knew the word. Listen, folks, if you only knew the word, you know how much headaches it would save you from. How much freedom people would have. How many times you wouldn't be pulled to the wrong direction. 
If you only know the word, how many times you would find the right answers at just the right time? See, the Lord looks in the past and He weeps and He looks inside their hearts and He weeps and He sees ignorance. But He also looks ahead and He sees the destruction in the temple where some 600,000 Jews would die and His heart breaks. All of this broke the heart of Jesus. Listen, as we close, we've seen three things. The preparation, the praise, the problem. All three of these things can be applied to our lives this morning. Our Messiah is preparing to return again at any moment. Jesus is coming again. Are you prepared? The praise. The Bible says, at Jesus' return, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The problem, same as before, unbelief and rejection. And unbelief and rejection always breaks the heart of God. Just as faith and obedience always blesses the heart of God. Same God who placed the planets in orbit, same God who made light shine out of the darkness, is also the same God who refuses to forcibly enter into a human heart. He will only knock. But He knows the repercussions that will come to those that reject Jesus Christ, to those that reject Him. And that breaks His heart. Understand, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, the Bible says. Jesus wept here, but even after His weeping, He would accomplish His ultimate work. Despite His rejection, He would go to the cross, He would die for the sins of of all people everywhere. Truly, there is no one like Jesus. No one else would weep compassionately for a people He knew would not only reject Him, but also crucify Him. I love the Lord because He didn't give up on Jerusalem. He doesn't give up on me, and He will not give up on you. I want to close with this illustration from Tom Barnard. He writes, The crowd was clueless. They never got it right. They shouted praises. He wept. They looked for a warrior king riding a white stallion. They got a carpenter riding a donkey. They wanted hype. They got a healer. They wanted a prophet. They got one who fulfilled prophecy. They wanted a scepter. They got a savior. They got nothing they asked for, but everything they needed. Only they never got it. They were clueless. Jesus was the only one there who really knew what was happening on that first Palm Sunday. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, he's revealed himself to you. You've heard what he's done for you. Now it's your responsibility to make that commitment, to obey him, to give your life to him, to turn from your sin and be born again today. If you refuse, it will break the Lord's heart because he knows what's ahead. Anyone that refuses the salvation of Jesus Christ, you have to pay for your own sin. You're responsible for it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus took on that payment for us. But you've got to come to him and apologize, repent of your sin, and God will do that work in you. So if you've not done that, I encourage you, don't leave here without making that commitment to him. As soon as service is over, I'll be up front. I'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your love towards us that no matter what we're going through, Lord, everything's been prepared beforehand. You know what's best for us. Our responsibility is just turn it all over to you, Lord, to trust in you, rely on you, cling to you, Lord, and you'll see us through whatever it is. Lord, I also pray if there's anyone here that does not have this relationship with you, they're not born again, 
this morning. Lord, would you especially speak to their heart today. Help them to hear from your spirit and turn from their sin and be born again today. Father, help us to open up our hearts. Lord, if there's rooms in our lives that are shut, doors that are shut, that you've been knocking on and we've refused to open it, Lord, help us to open it right now. Maybe it's a room full of bad attitudes, Lord, that we need to open and let you clean it up. Maybe it's a, a room full of uh, an impure thought life. Maybe it's a room full of uh, uh, pride or jealousy, whatever it may be, Lord. Help us to open it up as you, you knock, Lord. Help us to say, come on in, Lord. Take every area of my life. I surrender it to you. Maybe we're holding on to our finances. Maybe we're holding on to, to family. Something else that we've got to just surrender to you, God. Help us to do that. Complete surrender. Thank you, Lord, for your love and grace. Thank you, Lord, that there's a day coming where all of creation will praise you and we'll be right along with you, singing and praising you, our King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.